Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the 4th of July episode, special episode of the Wormburner podcast. I am your host, Justin. And for this week, I wanted to bring on a very special guest by the name of Jose Tellez. He is the founder of Goals TV, which is a social media company or media company having to do with football around the world. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Good. Uh, day before the fourth, a calm before the storm, so to speak. Uh, it's good. About to go see some family later today after working for more than I honestly thought I was going to work today. Uh, so all in all, man, can't complain. U.S. Men's National Team, uh, good vibes. FC Dallas coming off a win. I'm, I'm in a good place this week. How about you? Doing well, doing well. Just uh, on on the grind as usual. <laughs> And uh, I think we can we can both agree with that. And I'm very I'm very excited for everything that's going to be happening within the next couple of months, especially with the Gold Cup, especially with the women's uh, with the women's World Cup coming up as well. And that's kind of what I wanted to bring you in about with this Fourth of July special, kind of treating and looking at the U.S. men's national side for every aspect. And I wanted to start with the women's because I think for me it has a positive that not a lot of people are really looking at and going inward it, it, into this next world cup we have obviously been very strong in the women's side and i wanted to point out the stat that we've never finished below third place in a women's world cup ever period and from that there has been a we've been able to learn so much about the sport in general from the women as well just being able to see how the world reacts with with something because it, it not only not only is it bringing the world together in a sense but it's also where we can have the best the very best playing in a in a specific scenario that's the way that it's set up and it's meant to be and the u.s want to be the best when it comes to sports like this. I mean, American football, there's not really that much competition on a world stage versus just here. Baseball, we want to be the best. Basketball, we want to be the best. Soccer is really the one where we're kind of slacking in a way. And yeah. I wanted to bring in with you, have you come in and say what your expectations, and at least your thoughts coming into this Women's World Cup. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think, you know, we, we talked a little bit right before we kind of started recording today. I think it's, I don't want to sound like an echo chamber because that's, that's not my intention. Um, but I, I, you can't get around the fact that this version of the women's national team with how depleted it seems like we are with injuries, it feels a little bit different. But I think historically to go back to what you mentioned, right, the women's game and specifically the U.S. women's national team has been somewhat of a bar setter, right, for I, not even just the, the women's the growth of the women's games here stateside but i would say the growth of the sport like you mentioned stateside right sets the bar for how those outside of the u.s and outside of north america view the growth of soccer here in this country um the, the men's game has had very i would say flashpoint moments right things that have almost you can argue kind of saved 
the growth of the sport here um, in the States. But when it comes to consistent results and showing up in major tournaments and constantly setting a bar for how soccer is viewed holistically, the women's national team has been just that. So that's why this version, right, the 2023 Women's World Cup roster, it feels a little bit different, not not really from an average age perspective. I think you can argue that from you know the average age perspective, where I think we look pretty similar. Our average age is like 28, 29 years old. That tends to be the type of squad that we take to these tournaments. Um, I would say it, it feels less experienced from a, a total caps perspective. And that's the part that, you know, it doesn't scare me yet. It'll scare me a little bit more when I see how this team reacts to certain moments that are going to take place throughout this tournament. I, I think I heard a crazy stat the other day that we're about 300-plus caps shy of what previous tournaments have looked like for the women's national team, and that's collectively. Um, so I think there, you know, there's a lot of quote-unquote inexperienced or youthful talent that we are bringing to this tournament because, frankly, they have the talent, and no one can argue that. Um, I think it's more a question mark around the experience where anybody who watches not just U.S. soccer or the women's or men's national teams, but if you watch football on a global scale and you watch whether it's the World Cup, the Gold Cup here, um, you know, domestically or abroad, right, the Champions League, whatever it may be, you understand that having experience in a side matters. It is not all about how youthful or vibrant you can make your team experience you know, amongst certain key players will help get teams over the line in crucial situations. And so, you know, I think when when, when I look at this roster and how different it looks from the, the, the teams of yesteryear, even the previous World Cup, there's a slight question mark around the number of veterans that we have. Um, I think we have, what is it, 14 or 15 newbies, first time World Cup, uh, uh, you know, uh, participants, if you will. So that's, for me, where a lot of the biggest question marks really lie. But equally, there's a lot of young talent to get excited about. So that, that has me pretty excited for what's coming here in a few weeks. Absolutely. I, I think that that really hits the nail on the head. And especially with the, with the injury worries that nobody wants to go into that kind of a situation with a big tournament on the line with the depth that we have. And I feel like we have a lot, like you had said, we have a lot of promise yeah. and going forward with this talent, I, I think it could be a step in the right direction, especially if we can keep that stat up of being in the top three in every single World Cup that has ever happened. Uh, I think it's a, a step in that direction. And going forward from here, looking at the men's versus the women's, I wanted to bring in a note and get your reaction because it's a perspective that I've looked at for a very long time. And with the women's national, with the women's national team, as well as the women's professional league here in the United States, we are only looking at a 17 year gap from when the first women's world cup happened to when the first women's collective league was set up here in the United States. And in total, there was only four world cups in that 17 years. Whereas if we looked at the men, we're looking at a 65-year gap and 15 World Cups happening within that gap. And I really wanted to get your reaction on that. And and what in the sense, like, is this a sign that the women's, like, why the women are ahead where they are, at least for me? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think that the I think the gap what it demonstrates more than anything else, or what it exhibits more than anything else, is how early on we still are in the women's game. The U.S. women's national team has been dominant, right, for for so long. It's kind of like I said before, set the precedent for what we think about when it comes to soccer in this country. When you think about successful soccer, you almost associate that directly with the women's side before the men's side. Not that they haven't seen their own version of success, but. Um, you know, frankly speaking, globally, the men's game is miles ahead of where the women's game is. And this is, this is um, you know, evidence, not just in, you know, the, the number of women's World Cups that have taken place or, or how long the women's national team has been around, uh, but more so in other leagues abroad, right? You look at, I mean, uh, the, the, the women's league out in, let's say, the UK, for example, where they're still trying to get the buy-in that we are trying to get here with the NWSL in our own domestic league. Um, trying to build a product that, you know, competes with other leagues abroad, I would say quicker. And that's very, very possible for the women's side. I think even though we're in its infancy at this moment, there's a real chance that here with the NWSL in the States that, you know, we have a real opportunity to almost build what the NBA has built for men's basketball right here. While basketball is a global sport, while Europe has a fantastic pool of of basketball talent, you can argue that the NBA collectively aggregates all of the best talent globally in one league. I think that the NWSL is trying to build something similar. But are we in its earliest days? Of course. It's going to take time. Um, Now, when you compare that to the men's game and the men's national team where I would say we're not that we're less supportive as fans. I think we have a higher bar for what we expect sometimes from this national team, even though historically they have seen nowhere near the level of success that the women's national team has seen. You said it yourself. We've never finished outside of the top three for the, in any major women's tournament, right. In any major women's world cup um, where, you know, with the U S outside of, you know, a finish in 1930, we've never come close to that. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the, the, the quarterfinals is going to be kind of where, you know, we kind of ha- hold that bar for the men's national team. I think 2026 will be the opportunity for this quote unquote golden generation of talent to surpass that mark, really kind of stamp their own legacy on where, you know, that class of talent stands amongst the Lennon Donovans, the Clint Dempsey's, the Alexi Lawless's, the Eric Winaldas of the world. Um, there's a lot I think you can, that you can kind of, you know, sort of peel the layers back on when you think about how the men's national team compares to the women's. Um, both are coming into very different times in their history. Um, women's game was able, was able to elevate itself significantly quicker than the, the, the men's national team and the men's talent pool was. Um, and now you're starting to slowly see those kind of even out. I think that we're entering one of the most exciting times uh, for men's national team fans. I think that there's uh, a lot to be excited about with this very young group of talent. And that's not just evident with, with how we perform in the Nations League. If you're watching Gold Cup right now, you have to be excited about guys like Jesus Pedera, for example, who seems to be getting you know an interesting reception from U.S. men's national team fans everywhere. If anybody here follows USMNT Twitter, I think you'll, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Um, you know, Ferreira back-to-back hat tricks and i've never seen someone get such a mixed reception um but but with that said i think it's also um a byproduct of what i've already mentioned before the fact that over time collectively u.s men's national team fans have raised the bar for what they expect out of their players out of their team uh, and trying to meet the standard 
that the U.S. women's national team has set for themselves. And look, and, and to, to kind of, I think, complement what I said before regarding this upcoming World Cup, I think every fan should be excited. I think, you know, youth, ta youthful talent should create a lot of buzz and excitement for what this team could look like in years to come. And, you know, there's there's still going to be a veteran presence. I, I will say it makes me a little bit nervous when you see, you know, players like Rose Lavelle who have been sidelined for quite some time and now getting called up and probably going to have to spring into action pretty quickly. You know, you see Julie Ertz coming off a of maternity leave maybe a little bit faster than some would have expected. So there's there's that kind of a question mark with some of the veteran leadership. But the good news is that experience goes significantly further than what's produced on the pitch, right? Experience in the locker room, experience in conversations behind closed doors. There, there's a lot of opportunities for that those veterans to kind of, you know, put their their stamp on this uh on this roster, this World Cup roster of youthful talent. So there's 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 a lot to be excited about whether you're talking about the women's national team or the men's national team. Yeah, that's it's a good way of putting it as well because I think looking at it from the outside in, uh, I will be 100% honest with the women's game. I am not as accurate or kept up to date with it as I probably should be, but that's something that I want to add on and I want to improve on. But with the exception of how elevated the women's national team and the league is they are they have a very high standard they put that very high president or presidents on themselves and it is greatly respected and admired and i think that's something that is shifting now to the women or not the women's the men's team now i agree because we're we're looking at it like okay they're doing it why aren't the men doing it like what what is logically not making sense here. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's for me the reason the men haven't gotten there yet is because historically, I, I believe, and, and look, this this could be my personal experience. I think there are other you know others out there who may have a slightly different viewpoint, but I just think growing up in this country, and this could be gender bias for all I know, right? But as a as a as a male in this country, you're typically brought up to play, you know, uh, quote unquote male oriented sports the american footballs basketball baseball um soccer is kind of there as like a recreational option that most of us picked up at some point or another during our childhood but i think that many you know older generations of parents just frankly didn't know how big of a career their kids could have in that sport because again soccer is not our primary sport it's maybe a top four sport here in the states whereas like, like we've already already discussed right the women that women's national team which you can argue has been so successful because there really hasn't been a strong club soccer presence here in the States, right? When you go look at how many caps some of the old heads with, with the women's national team actually have, the Carly Lloyds of the world, um, the Tobin Heaths of the world, the Kristen Presses of the world, um, and, and I would say even Tobin Heath and Kristen Press don't compare to someone like Carly Lloyd, their caps are through the roof. They see more matches in a calendar year uh, than some men will ever see with their national team record. And, and that's a lot of it's because they're almost treated like a club team. For, for a long time, these women didn't have, you know, the NWSL to rely upon or other leagues abroad to rely upon. A lot of their competitive time and matches came with their national team. And that's just because, again, the women's, the growth of the women's game is trailing behind the growth of the men's game. Um, but in, in due time, everything tends to even itself out. And so, I do think for that reason, we've associated a lot more national team success with the women's side. 
But like you said, Justin, it, 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 now coming into um, you know this this era of the men's national team, where I feel as though our talent pool is deeper than it's been in a long time. Um, I think that this is going to be an exciting few years leading up to the World Cup in 2026, right? We have in major international soccer play coming to the States with major tournaments in some form or fashion between now and then. And then I think leading up to that tournament and, and even depending on how we finish, right? I think for, for me, success would be making it at least to a semifinal in that World Cup. From there, I can see soccer booming in this country. I could see it becoming a top three sport. I can see it talked about in circles outside of, you know, the the buzz that takes place every four years when the World Cup and the U.S. men's national team start to kick off. So there's, it's, to my opinion, there has never been a more exciting time to be a soccer fan. Um, and 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 either way, whether you're someone who's in support of how the, the U.S., you know, men's and women's sides are being built or not, there's there's never been more to talk about when it comes to those two respective teams in this country. Agreed. Agreed. I, when it comes to the way that the men's team has been ran over the last 10, 20 years, I think we have risen to a level in which people are raising questions, are actually talking about this more and getting even more animated and even more digested into this because we're like, oh, that's a horrible idea. Oh, that's a great idea. Like, we, we can very easily say that there are all of these aspects. And, and I think one of those aspects is the head coach with one of them. And, and that is Greg Berhalter. I think you can, you can definitely agree with me in saying that he is a very controversial. At very, best, very controversial. Very controversial co uh, coach at, at best. And I, I cannot sit here and say that he does not deserve at least a little bit of respect because that's one of the things for me he has been able to do. He's been able to turn the U.S. men's national team into a actual dominant team here in the, in the CONCACAF region. And that is something that we have not been able to see at least since Bruce Arena, at least. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know what? I, I think I have somewhat of a hot take on this, and I'm glad you asked it, Justin. I, I think in all honesty, um, most – I think right now it's easy for so many fans of the men's national team to uh, metaphorically take a dump on Greg Berhalter. I think in all honesty, that's 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 the best way I could put it because the minute that his hire came through, which we can all agree was strategic. It was strategic by the Federation, right, to release the news – in the midst, in the middle of one of the biggest rivalries CONCACAF has ever seen, and and not even just the the nature of the U.S. Mexico rivalry, but the the tipping point it came to in the Nations League semifinal, uh, I think that you know releasing that news during that game was not by accident. It was it was very much you know there was a lot of intent behind it. Um, but w moving past that point, I think collectively as fans, we need to be more critical of the process that allowed us to arrive at this decision versus the decision itself. The decision itself, to me, is actually somewhat of a logical one. I think when you look at Burhalter's history with the men's national team, the I think when you look at, uh, when I say history, right, you have to compare him to the coaches that we hold in high regard. And I think when you look at our, our track record, those maybe two or three coaches would be guys like Bob Bradley, Jurgen Klinsmann, Bruce Arena is men's national team royalty. Um, and then when you compare the likes of Greg Berhalter with those names and you look at things like winning percentage across all major matches with the U.S. men's national team, Greg Berhalter leads 
that entire category, right? So if we're looking for for someone who knows how to win, and not just knows how to win, but knows how to win in CONCACAF, which again, remind everyone here, right? In 2018, we did not make it out of the hex. We did not qualify for the World Cup. We lost to a Trinidad-Tobago team that you know, it's so such an up and down federation, such an up and down nation when it comes to football that you almost have to to still kind of think back to that moment and how did we even get here, right? Um, now, fast forward to what Greg Berhalter has accomplished and what he was able to do with th- that men's team at the 2022 World Cup. Were there missteps from his side? Of course. No one can argue that. No one can argue that he, when it comes to man management, he misstepped along the way slightly. I think his I think his biggest misstep of all of them was operating with preconceived notions, operating under the assumption that, you know, and, and if, if the rumors are true, telling a player like Gio Reyna that you're not going to feature that much in this tournament. In my mind, the first question I go to is then, well, why bring him? What's the point? Right. We could have we, we, we could have brought Pepe with that spot. Right. And then maybe have a different profile for that match against the Netherlands when it comes to who played striker. There's there's a lot that that that, that specific misstep kind of, you know, opens up in terms of questions. But with that said, outside of that one, you know, kind of misstep, which is a pretty decent sized one, the team performed fairly up to expectations. I don't I, I even if Gio Reyna was playing, I don't know if we beat that Netherlands team. I just don't know if we do. I think at the end of the day, Gio Reyna not playing doesn't cause the first goal to happen. That's Tyler Adams not tracking back. It doesn't cause the second goal to happen. That's that's Denzel Dumfries getting around a Sergio Dest that's completely out of position. There's there's there were other holes in our team in that tournament that could not have been solved by the the Reyna Burhalter situation ironing itself out. That that wouldn't have fixed those holes in our game. So there's. There's, I think, a lot of that push and pull that a lot of U.S. men's national team fans just aren't taking into account. I think right now, frankly speaking, Justin, it's just easier to be a hater on the internet. It's easier to 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 to, to drag him through the mud to to say the USSF doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, that we all oh, we had the likes of of Henri and Vieira and all these names that were being thrown around. And in all honesty, that's probably what it was. It's the hope that kills you as an as an Arsenal fan. I can tell you firsthand, it is the it is the hope that kills you. It would have been great to have a sexy name like that walk through the door. But there is no guarantee, even if they had a better playing career, there's no guarantee that either one of those coaches would have been more successful than Greg Berhalter. And what you have to look at is their individual track records, right? Henri has never seen success as a coach. Um, same thing for Vieira. In fact, both were, were released from their last manager post because of that. And so I think at the end of the day, we went with the straightforward, logical choice. The biggest indictment of all of it is the fact that we hired an external firm. We took six months, wasted a lot of time, a lot of money, brought on back-end staff and personnel to help with the search. And all of this equated to us doing what we were probably going to do the entire time, which was bring back Red Burhalter once the reign of Burhalter drama died down. And, uh, and ultimately, I think as fans, we need to be more critical of the process that led us here versus the actual outcome. I I definitely agree with you that <laughs> needless to say, when the when the discussion was going about of this new new US men's national team side, they they themselves said that money was not an issue. Like they they were going to go out and get the very best. 
Am I saying Berhalter's not the best? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is it seemed like, again, kind of with that hope that it was getting brought up and we could be looking and aiming for these kinds of managers. Now, here's where I at least wanted to bring in my perspective and my opinion for you to, to I, I wanted to get another gauge for you uh, yep. on this is that while yes, I don't agree with some of the things that Berhalter, at least in this last world cup did one of the things that I feel like personally as a U.S. men's national team fan, we should be expecting our national team coaches to be doing what Burhalter is in the CONCACAF region. Hands down, we should be dominating CONCACAF every single time. And that has been that expectation from Burhalter and yeah. that, that, that result from Burhalter. We've been able to dominate CONCACAF. And again, with this whole, with I know that Berhalter wasn't the manager during the U.S.-Mexico uh, game, but 3-0 against a Mexican side that I don't think, we ended up getting the result, but who would have expected that, though? Like Nobody, nobody. And look, I, I will say this, I mean, to, to play devil's advocate, you can argue, and I think a lot of you know haters out there will argue that this Mexico side has zero identity at the moment. At the moment, they are still very much figuring out where they want to be, not just at the national team level. I would say at the federation level. Um, there's a lot of identity, I don't want to say crisis, but issues right now. Um, identifying who this team is going to be, who your actual best players are, who are the experienced players you're going to call upon because so many of them have a very um, divisive relationship with the federation. Um, and then, you know, past that, can you find the perfect mix of, of youthful talent and experience and, and, a, and a manager who's not just a tactics guy, but more importantly, a man manager who's going to win over everyone in the locker room and guide this team to where they need to go. So there's there's a lot that they're figuring out. But with, with the U.S. men's national team, that was, like you said, a very decisive victory. We are undoubtedly the best team in CONCACAF. However... I will also say that's not the goal, right? The goal is to be a, a world powerhouse in some form or fashion, right? And I think that one thing that needs to be considered from Burhalter's perspective, uh, with when we think about whether or not he is the right man for the job, I think someone like, for, for example, our biggest rivals in the world, Mexico, would take someone like Burhalter in a heartbeat. And what I mean by that is, right, I think so, but when the U.S. men's national team did not qualify for the World Cup, and Burhalter came in in 2018. Mexico wants to have almost that scenario exactly play out the way that it did for the U.S. in the sense that they didn't qualify for the knockout rounds of a group that they really should have, in all honesty. Um, from there, fire a manager, bring someone in who's not going to be scared to move on from big name personalities, the way that Burhalter moved on from Giassi Zardes, from Michael Bradley, from all these other you know players that were just namestays for the managers before him, and and even going as far as with the whole Reina situation, I know it, it it ended up panning out horribly, but you know his and 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 the, I don't believe in good intentions. I think that good intentions never really work because the execution part has to be there. But he did have good intentions with the Reina situation. There, there, there must have been some sort of issue he was creating, some sort of division he was causing in the locker room. Maybe he was being unprofessional. And he Burhalter was not scared to move away from that. 
right? So right now, you can argue Mexico needs that mentality more than ever from their next manager, someone who's not scared to move on from the old heads and bring in a new, youthful, vibrant side that's going to compete not just on the CONCACAF stage, but on the world stage. So, and don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here saying that Burhalter is, you know, rah-rah, he's the best manager out there. He's going to absolutely uh, do wonders for the men's national team. He, he will still have missteps, 100%. But I do think that he's done enough to prove himself to earn this next cycle. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, you know, he's maybe not the best option. Because you said yourself, right, the, the U.S. Soccer Federation was prepared to spend. He may not have been the best option on paper, quote unquote. But I do think he's right now the best fitting option for this group of players. He's already built some chemistry up with them. He's proven he can go to Guatemala, go to Trinidad, go to these small nations on a Tuesday night on a crappy field in front of very hostile fans and win major games, qualifying matches. All of that is part of this job. And there have been plenty of managers in the past who have proven they cannot do it. So all in all, I do think that there should be more positive sentiment with Burhalter than negative. There, 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 there is stuff he still has to figure out, right? How many MLS players are going to feature in the World Cup side and not being so pragmatic with his approach tactically, you know, allowing players more creative freedom. And that's what we saw in the Nations League. We saw BJ Callahan let the players off of their leash and just play. And I think if Burhalter approaches his side with that type of creative freedom, there's going to be a lot for U.S. fans to be excited about. I wanted to take that note that you ended with, and I completely agree with the whole aspect of of letting these guys on off the leash yep. because they they play at that top level and i understand the perspective that burhalter's possibly taking when it comes to releasing from these big names that the us was associated with beforehand and mexico is struggling with and i even I, I have a friend of mine that i actually talked to a little bit about mexican national side and even the league itself and and that was one of the, his gripes when it came to the national side that, that when it comes to the younger talent that there's none getting up there there's there there isn't that depth anymore because they're holding on to these larger names and all in all i think having a assistant like bj callahan at the u.s men's national side i feel like at least for me from a ussf if if my opinion was ever asked <laughs> <laughs> i think uh i think BJ should have a say a little bit more like uh, having a, a more pragmatic voice in this and saying, Hey, let's just let him go. Because sometimes when it comes to too many instructions, things get slipped up, mistakes are made, just let it happen. Sometimes it, it's just, and, and I think our players play best with that because yeah. they, they, they're just fantastic players. As you had said, this is probably the best depth that we've had for the u.s men's national team in probably ever i would venture to say yeah i, I would agree wholeheartedly I, I'll, I'll go a step further too with bj specifically i think that what he's already done in the nation's league what he's doing now with the quote unquote b team in the gold cup i think that there's um it's almost like an insurance policy for the ussf right it's almost telling greg look We've already seen from someone who's not you at the helm that this team is creatively capable of going out there and bossing games and doing it so in a way that doesn't feel like it's just the U.S. scrapping together to win a few one-off tournament matches, right? It feels like we can control games, which 
how long have U.S. fans been waiting for that scenario where we felt like from minute one to minute 90 against competition at scale, we've been able to control the tempo of matches. There really haven't been many in our history. And I would say the, the biggest wins that we've ever seen in our men's national team history have all come from individual moments, right? The the 2-0 win against Spain, the Confederations Cup, the the win, uh, the, well, almost win against Brazil in that same tournament in the final, the Slovenia last-minute goal from Landon Donovan. We have individual moments that really encapsulate what it means to be a U.S. men's national team fan. But now I think we're approaching an era that where we, we can now sort of be in a position to control matches in big major tournaments. And that that really hasn't been talked about enough. And so Berhalter has a lot of pressure riding on him. Don't get me wrong. There's gonna now more than ever, right? I think it was strategic that USSF didn't want him at the helm for the gold cup. Um, let BJ continue doing his thing, let him prove that he he knows how to coach the next, you know, generation of, of this pool of talent. And, and ultimately keeping him on board, I think just sets the precedent that, hey, we believe in you, Greg. But in just in case, in the event that for whatever reason, right, you, you decide to show the same type of decision making that you've shown in the past with players and man management, or if for whatever reason the, the results don't follow what we've seen in the past, we have someone here on staff that knows these players already that have played under him and we like what we saw. So I think there's going to be, um, for, for fans anyway, there's sort of, you know, the, a lot to feel a little more secure about when it comes to, you know, the Copa America next year, the World Cup that's coming. There's there, there's a lot for us to get excited about. Absolutely. So uh, just to clarify what I heard, BJ Callahan in. No. <laughs> I think, yeah, I look, man, if Berhalter doesn't work out, I'm not opposed to it. I, look, I, it was, you know, it's crazy, right? How, how many fans changed their tune of BJ Callahan, who is being called like, uh, you know, uh, a rec soccer dad or uh you know people had never heard of him as i saw who on the timeline more than anything else and and now that those same chirpers right they're not as loud they're actually very quiet they're very supportive because he quickly changed uh their perspectives just by going out there and getting the result i think greg can do the exact same thing nothing silences haters more than just going out there and getting the results but if for some reason right th this whole thing were to happen again U.S. fans can now feel just rest a little bit easy knowing that the guy we're going to pivot to, if needed, has already shown us what he's capable of. Yeah, I think – I don't know if you had seen – I had made a post on social media. I don't think I'll have enough time to bring it up. But I had tweet sent that in which it was – somebody had asked if we were in support of Greg Berhalter and what it would take to get that support back. And I would have been one of those people that probably would have been like, I I don't know if I'm going to give him the light of day. I'll be honest. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, I think, and again, I cannot sit here and say that he has done nothing because he has the records show it. The stats show it. Everything shows it. He has done something that hardly any, if, if any U S men's national team coach has done, but from here, from here, from this situation, there needs to be man management. There yep. needs to be better tactics. There needs to be better situations in which we are calling up the best players to the U.S. men's national side. And if those expect and as you said, if those expectations are not being met, we got to move on. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And look, I think for, for, for those looking for like another example to, to compare, I mean, 
I, I, I've been very firm about this. And there, there was like a video on my channel that I released uh, that talked about it. I think with man management, there's no definitive sort of characteristic that you look for with that. I think managers just learn, for the most part, the good ones, right? They learn that aspect of their game over time, right? Play uh, Just like players evolve, managers evolve. The way that Greg Berhalter coached in the 2022 World Cup is not going to be, ideally, right, if he's learning and evolving, not going to be the exact same case for other major tournaments that are coming in the future. He is going to get better at what he does. And j just like I remember, if we, if we want to think about the best, in a lot of people's eyes, the best manager in the world today, Pep Guardiola, he may look like a fantastic man manager today, but I also remember a time when you know, he first got to the first team at Barcelona and how he was so criticized for his man management. His bar for excellence was so high and he really wasn't willing to drop that for anyone outside of Messi because Messi, you just, you don't drop that bar for him. He, he sets that so to speak. But I, I think that, you know, there were how many ruffled feathers? Slatan Ibrahimovic wrote a book, dedicated whole chapters to Pep Guardiola not understanding man management. And yet we're here in 2023 uh, coming off of him winning the Champions League title and talking about, you know, how many players are raving about his ability to earn the trust of players and, you know, continue to to to, to create a higher bar of excellence season after season. So, you know, I'm a firm believer that humans evolve. We get better at what we do. I think Greg Berhalter will do that both on the man management side of things and tactically. I think at the end of the day, I think his biggest fault on the tactic side of things was that he was approaching a national team as if it were a club. And you don't do that, right? You're not there to teach these guys a brand new system they've never seen or never heard of and try to be the Pep Guardiola of the, of the CONCACAF region. You're, you're there to implement a system that enhances and highlights the strengths of these players that you've called in and win matches now. There is no such thing as building up to that point with this generation. It is win now. And so, um, and like you said, like we both said, winning now, I think just means playing a simple, straightforward system and allow our creative outlets, which we have several of them, our creative outlets to shine. Let them off the leash. Let them do what they do. They shouldn't be scared to make mistakes. Mistakes are part of the game. And when they do, help them understand where they could have made a better decision but then we move. We keep getting results. And that's how Burhalter's going to keep his job. That's how he's going to win over the fan base. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. I think uh, adding to your point with Pep and, and the beginning stages of his career, that was a very heavily criticized time frame. And, and I every so often, I remember probably before this Champions League win for Pep, I think probably one of the biggest gripes when it came to him was what were all the stars that were at Barcelona and not a lot of people know, but that first year he was there, he sold probably three of their most productive players that previous year. And it's just a situation that not a lot of people really take into account or don't even see really, I think. And he almost sold another one. I mean, he he really wanted to get rid of Eto, and mm -hmm. like you know, and and you know, after almost a lot of fans felt like he betrayed the club by getting rid of guys like Ronaldinho, right? You know, the guy who had had been you know a beacon of change for the club, 
helped us get back to winning a Champions League title. And then Pep saying, you know what? Thank you for your service, but we have to move on from you now. And and did it in a way that just felt like, you know, like you're just brushing him aside. Like he really wasn't one of the world beaters that he'd become at Barcelona. Um, and then he also wanted to do the same thing with Eto, right? And, and Eto, uh, it, it took the players convincing him that they needed Eto to stay on for that season, that he was that pivotal to their attack. Um, and that's kind of the only exception he made. And that was, it was for that reason. So, I think if, if if fans want to be critical of man management, I think what we need to look at is the man who has set the bar for managers today, and that is Pep Guardiola. And and if he is capable of change and, and, and an evolution and growing as a manager, we have to assume that every manager beneath him, and that includes Ray Burhalter, is capable of the same thing. Agreed. Agreed. And and that's where uh, I full I full heartedly believe that. When it comes to Berhalter, I obviously want him, as any U.S. men's national team coach, to succeed. And laying out those points, I think, it's a general way that we could move forward as a nation. Whether, again, those opinions are heard, let's let's figure out. But <laughs> but I think, I, I think uh, we're close to wrapping up here. But I did have one more question for you, one pivotal ending question that I think would be a great way to end this episode. Absolutely. One thing in your opinion that the U S can do at the fundamental base level that will change everything moving forward for the better. One thing they could do that will, they will never do at least in my opinion, not in my lifetime at the fundamental base of it all. It would completely unlock and revolutionize the United States of America when it comes to soccer, especially on the men's side, is remove pay-to-play. That's it, plain and simple. I came up in that system. Grassroots soccer is the start of everything. If you you think about global football, academies are the foundation of every club who has ever seen success at the highest level. It, it, look at the the best brand of football we have ever seen probably in our lifetimes. I'm, I'm 32 years old is the 2011 Barcelona team. And, you know, the 2009 team was good, right? They won Champions League. It was Pep's first season. But fast forward a couple of years, and the single best brand of football ever played was a team that had who? how many academy players, right? Seven, eight different starters who were academy players. Um, I think that at the end of the day, that none of that takes place if the culture and the vision that was established by La Masia wasn't in place. And that all shined through being led by a, a manager who was also from that exact same school of thought. So for me, I've always been critical of this. I think that um, we're just absolutely missing out on so many athletes in this day and age, really who they are, because they're going on to play other sports because of the financial barriers that exist in this country. We're so short-sighted with how we look at making money, acquiring revenue, and uh, we're, we're sacrificing long-term elite player development for short-term revenue gains. And I mean, that's as evident as, you know, major league soccer and the Apple TV deal, right? For example, there's, there's a lot to be said about the money that's being brought in, but unfortunately I, I just, I feel as though we could be doing so much more if players had no barriers whatsoever to getting into that pipeline to, to professionals. So that's 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 a conversation for another day. We could sit here and have that conversation for hours on end on how you know we could peel those layers back and and really kind of fix the situation we've really kind of just built for ourselves in the worst way. But that's on the men's side. On the women's side, I think 
it's a different scenario. I, I pay to play still in 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 contention, right? That there's still that problem that's on the women's side. But I think in order for the women, the women's game in the states to grow to another level, I think we have to stop treating the U.S. women's national team like a club. For me, I think grassroots women's soccer takes over NWSL and all the clubs beneath it take over when we start supporting local clubs the way that little girls and women and soccer fans in general have been supporting the women's national team for years right I mean die hard fans that show up in droves to these tournaments and and I love that everybody loves that but when you don't see that translate over to the support that the NWSL sees at the individual club level that's disheartening Right. And I think even if you don't have an NWSL club in your local market, but maybe you have another, I don't know, lower league team, wherever the case may be, just go out and support. Grassroots soccer is the basis of everything. And and the way that we can really ensure soccer's future in this country on both sides, the men and women's, is if we support the local game. So on the men's side, if there's a way somewhere down the line to remove pay to play, who knows if that exists? Maybe it doesn't. Uh, and on the women's side, just stop treating the women's national team like a club. I think at the end of the day, those players also play for their own respective clubs. Go show that level of love and support at that level. Yes, we we reap what we sow, I think is the best way to, to wrap that up. And and to put in one final point, it I'm just saying over the past couple of years, in the last 10 years, research has shown that there has been a drop in club-level soccer when it comes to participation. And there was an increase in guess what? High school soccer, which is yep. free. Yep, exactly. So and I'm 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 my whole journey as a player in this country, as someone who camped in the FC Dallas youth system, played high school soccer, played a lot of elite level club soccer. Um, I can attest to that, right? And we, we as kids, we were forced to make decisions that we had coaches telling us, don't play for your high school team, play for your your academy team. And you know, I think at the end of the day, players, when you're that young, you sh as long as you feel happy doing it, you don't feel burnt out, you should try and play as much soccer as you possibly can, regardless of where it is. It's the only way you're going to get better. But I, I don't believe in these financial barriers. I think that at the end of the day, you know, we're probably missing out on the next Mbappe, the next Benzema, the next, I don't want to go as far as saying Messi because he's the greatest of all time, but there's, there's so much talent that we could be tapping into and bringing up that next level but we just don't know what exists because those barriers are preventing them from entering the system. So uh, I'm not going to go deeper into that. I think you, you nailed it right in the head. We got to find a way, a way around it. Thank you so much, Mr. Jose for your time. Greatly, greatly appreciated. Do you have anything last, last remarks, anything that you want to promote or anything like that? I'd love to hear it. No, I mean, I appreciate it. First off, thank you so much for having me on the show, man. I love talking footy. I can talk about it all day, as you guys can see. So, um, again, man, whoever had me back on, please let me know. And, guys, anybody who's listening, just go check out Goals TV. Uh, it's my baby. It's my project. I'm a massive footy fan. I believe fan-made content is the future of this beautiful game, especially here in the States where we want this game to grow. Goals.tv, G-O-L-Z.tv is where there is nothing but fan-made footy content on 24-7 for you to consume completely for free. So. Go check that out. That's my shameless plug for today. Other than that, Justin, you've been an awesome host, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, sir. Have a great day. Thank you. You too, man.